Hey guys, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you as always by The Mine Refinery. This week we talked to Tosin McKinde, host of the Shirtless Plantain Show, about the Amazon Sports Series All or Nothing, as well as the future of soccer content. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow us on social media. And now, here's the show. Alright guys, joining us today to talk about the Amazon Prime Series All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur, our Mind Refinery creative, Coburn Blair. How's it going? And special guest, uh, he's the co-founder and host of the Shirtless Plantain Show, self-fashioned as a football dictatorship inspired by Nigerian culture and fueled by banter. It's a great show, make sure you check it out. The Nigerian scam himself, Tosin Makunde. Tosin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, it's always fun to talk football with people. So I mean, I'm really glad that you guys had me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Honestly, that's uh, anytime also we get to, uh, you know, talk our shit about football. We love doing it. I'm glad that we're all Manchester United fans here so we can. I mean, it's important for mind refining listeners to always know they're low key listening to a mind refi- uh, a Manchester United podcast. So just keep that in mind. So All or Nothing has been around for a while. It actually dipped into other sports. You know, they followed the NFL's Arizona Cardinals, uh, the New Zealand All Blacks. But it's the past two seasons that have kind of brought the most attention. Uh, last season was Manchester City, and they followed Pep Guardiola and what turned out to be the uh, City Centurions. This year with Tottenham Hotspur. So when Tottenham uh, chairman Daniel Levy initially mentioned the prospect of doing the show with uh, then-manager Maurizio Pochettino, the Argentinian was kind of worried about the extra workload and, like, the distraction it would bring to the club. Needless to say, uh, he didn't last much longer, uh, slightly after that. And uh, the show centered around Jose Mourinho and um, his bringing the team together. So I think I'd like to start off by, you know, what were our uh, what are our initial thoughts of uh, this season? Why don't you start us off, Tosin? Um, I think the biggest thing is realize that Tottenham are devoid of personality. <laughs> and <laughs> Mourinho was basically their personality. Like, there are some like, nice guys, but like, I was bored out of my mind watching the players. Like, I look more forward to like, hearing the nonsense Mourinho had to say. Like, for example, I think Harry Kane's a great player, but if he was my captain, honestly, I would laugh my ass off and listen to him speak. I'm like, yo, like, what are you, what are you doing? But I mean, you can see like they need a Mourinho. Um, like we were saying before we started, like, I think Pochettino's time um, came to end with Tottenham. Um, you kind of see it, not just him, but in the players that they both kind of needed. It was like it was like a needed divorce from the pair of them. And I feel like Tottenham right now needed Mourinho. And it's weird that United needs Pochettino. So it's like a weird like switch of management and styles. <laughs> like yeah, that's what they that's what both teams needed. Yeah, I think uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoy watching Jose when he's not associated with my club so having him like watching him on chelsea was fun um watching him on manchester united was fun for like a season um and then it became very like terrible and terrifying so i'm, I'm happy to have him be at tottenham i think tottenham is like the perfect club to do a show like this and i enjoyed watching it all of it and seeing the games from like a different perspective because i'd watch like a lot of those games as well you know it's funny because yeah, you see, you know, especially with this, you know, if you if you if you know football, you start, you know, you see, this is more of the musical chairs happening with managing and you know, especially with the top six clubs. You know, it's funny because Tottenham felt like the perfect club for this because they were a club where there is inevitable drama. They, you know, they're top six but struggling to kind of make their 
bones in the top four to you know repeat champions league presence and it was really cool how they were you know how they were able to kind of really get inside and see this and i think jose Mourinho was also kind of the perfect person for this i mean we'll get more specifically into jose Mourinho. Uh, but I think, and yes, it's all fun and games until Jose Mourinho is coaching your squad. But, you know, I, I definitely think this was more tolerable and he's a better figure than... Uh, did you guys watch the uh, the Manchester City season with uh, Pep Guardiola? Yeah, bits of it. Um, you realize that Pep is a nut human being. Like, he's insane. That's just really what I got from that. Pep is insane. Well, I don't know how they um, actually understand what he's saying. Not from a, like... Not from a accent point of view, but like he kind of just goes up. He's like, and then here, here, and the fullback comes in, and then this, this, and he just kind of clicks things around, and everyone's like, all right. Kind of, I don't know. This, I mean, like when you kind of put him and Mourinho beside each other, I'm like, wow, Mourinho seems a lot more personable. And obviously, I have the inborn prejudices against Pep Guardiola. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, Coburn, did you check it out? I think I saw like a few episodes um, around the time it was airing. Again, like, I didn't really want to subject myself to a whole season on Manchester City. It's masochistic uh, for sure. Not that I care about... Yeah, I don't really care about that club that much, but I didn't really feel like watching it at the time. I think now I'm going to go back and watch it after watching this one. I think the City season is good. You know, it's just like, can you tolerate that for a long period of time? Is like, how much like how much are you willing to subject yourself to it? The access was pretty good. I think it was a little bit more in-depth than some of the, like, you know, stuff you see with NFL films and stuff. So I really enjoyed that. So are we saying that this is, we're rating this high on the entertainment factor? I was, honestly, like, I was a bit bored at, like, the fourth or fifth episode. So I was like, I might have quit. I'm going to keep going. But, like, it's also down to the players, like, I feel like a lot of Tottenham players are devoid of personality, like I said. Yeah, I think, like, it, it was pretty, like, sanitized, like, um, for what we got to see. Like, it definitely felt like you were watching, like, a, I don't know, like, the, the manager, Daniel Levy. He just felt like he was, like, you know, the star and, like, you know, the best person at the club and, like, you know, doing everything right. So, and I felt like some of the conversations with Marino were, like, they kind of chopped them up. So, it was, like, really quick player conversations. I definitely had it on in the background for a little bit um, when I was got up to episode four and then from four on and where I watch it like a little bit more intensely when I figured out we we're going to do this. But it was like somewhat entertaining because I always just find Jose has really good screen presence. Like I love his presser. So I wish I got a little bit more of that side of it, but I enjoyed some of it, I think. I think the problem was sometimes it feels like a promotional engine for the club. Like, I think that Tottenham, from, like, a plot point of view, you know, what they went through and what they go through, like, they're good for it. But I think from a character standpoint, that's a really good point. You know, they're just kind of, you know, like, some of these, like, I'm wondering how, like, Deli Alley would react to, like, or another player would react to, like, Mourinho's harassment, calling him lazy, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I expect a little bit more fire in regards to that. Um... Let's talk about Jose Mourinho as the show star. I feel like he's a worthy subject. Do we agree? Yeah. I mean, Jose, at the end of the day, Jose is fun when he's not your manager. That's really where I stand. It's like, Jose is great when he's not your manager. He's hilarious. Like, I'm watching now with Tottenham. It's like, man, this guy, this guy's funny. But it's not funny when he's your manager because, yeah, it's, it's just not funny at all. It's also not funny when he beats you 6-2. Um, I'm still not over that, but that yeah. That was traumatic. Uh, like, I think, 
like I like Jose Mourinho when he's calling Arsenio Wenger like an expert in failure. Like that's what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? That's um, or he's you know or he's saying Villa Boas uh, is a child. And uh, like these are the things I'm I'm really looking for at Jose Mourinho. I think that I'm wondering what it had been like if, it, if Pochettino had actually stayed in it. I feel like it wouldn't have been. Uh, you know that entertaining but yes again it's uh, as you know when he's not uh, managing your team and it's funny because I felt like when he came in it almost felt like like he was already in third year mode and then it's kind of like picked up a bit I mean the only problem is you know with Mourinho is that you get this that you get that projection of that three-year projection of what's going to happen where it's like he comes in he changes the culture everyone's like he's a winning coach there's some success. Uh, Chelsea's able to win a championship with us. Second place, obviously, fall b far behind uh, City. Uh, but then uh, the wheels come off, and um, you're just like, how did this happen? And then you're like, oh, yes, I've actually seen that happen a bunch of times. So is he a, like, is he a hero or a villain in this? Like, What do you guys think about that? Uh, he's a necessary villain. Like, He's the evil that we need. Because without Jose Mourinho, there's no documentary. Like, I'm not going to sit here and watch nine ten episodes of harry king trying to speak to people or you know what's his name De uh, danny rose just complaining you know about he's not playing. <laughs> those guys are fun like i'm sorry <laughs> deli alley for the first time said oh i learned how to make what is he learning me he learned how to make beans which i thought was hilarious like yo like i don't care if you know how to make beans my guy like i don't really care so it's just like Mourinho is fun because Mourinho's there at least like you know, Mourinho's providing commentary. Just like even he was like every five minutes, like fucking hell, I'm in great form. Like, every five minutes, so he kept saying, it's "Like I didn't know, like like it's fun to hear Mourinho just be Mourinho." So, yeah. I'm I'm trying to figure out how Delhi Alley lived in England his entire life and didn't open up a fucking tin of beans. I mean, he's a professional football player. They got this stuff ready for him, you know. They don't let them move a muscle. I guess, like I guess that's true because like they these guys are you know with the club since they're teenagers, so it's like they're completely in this bubble. Yeah, I would I would say the same. Like I think like you know I, you watch the whole thing and like there's like two like really big moments of passion I can think of like when Hugo Lloris kind of goes into it with his son and then like Deli Ali gets in an, in an argument in the locker room. I can't remember who who was it with Eric Deer Deer. Can't remember. But like I don't like there wasn't like a lot of big moments of passion or like even like the kind of human interest moments like when um, uh, Kane's like doing his like gender reveal like none, none of it really connected with me like i was not like trying to see more of that <laughs> um i think like you know when they're bringing up uh is it tangana um and or no i guess when they signed bergewin and they show his, his parents house or whatever that was kind of cool I, I like that kind of transfer window stuff but everything else kind of like i think like you said like it just fell flat like there's not really any big personalities and like you're right the show wouldn't work without Jose being like the front and center personality because it kind of started to revolve around him and then like towards the end I'm watching him like do this skywalk and I'm like oh wow that's like kind of fun like he's like looking up at his like thing and talking about VAR I'm like this is hilarious but everything else is just like yeah it was not I don't know that necessary do we have any favorite Mourinho moments in this yeah when he was going papa pia papa pia that shit was like <laughs> <laughs> like just really done it because he's just like and the funny thing was him talking to Eric, da Eric Deer in like uh, Portuguese. Like you fully know he can speak English, but it's like, nah, you know what? I'm gonna speak to him in Portuguese, even though Dad hasn't spoke the language in like six years. So that was also funny. Uh, yeah, I think when like Jose comes in and he has his own staff and he's like, you know, evaluating players and then just calling like 
Daily Ali just like lazy for like, I don't know, half an episode or something. <laughs> and he brings him into the office. He's like, you're lazy. And I thought, thought that was just like good Jose material, but I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? I think that the uh, the harassing of Deli Alley in general, I enjoy uh, calling him lazy, like just like circling on the screen in the board, him walking and stuff like that on the pitch when he shouldn't be. And just like those moments, I think the like I was hoping of a little bit more from the Danny Rose moment, just because I don't think. I feel like Mourinho would be more aggressive in that situation because, like, his, like, M his M.O. is getting under people's skin and, like, trying to make them, you know what I mean, like, impassion them. But also, you know, part of it was, you know, Danny Rose, how good do you think you are? Um, because I'm going to say it's uh, less, that you are less good than you think you are. So, I mean, like, it was, you know, we had those moments. And when he's, like, coming in and saying, like, him consistently being like, hey, you guys are the nice guys. You guys are nice guys. You guys are the nicest guys. You guys got to be like fucking cunts now. And I, I like, I really like that because, I mean, what you're looking for in this situation is, you know, textbook Jose Mourinho. Like, I, th I think we got it and I think that was good. Uh, how do we think he comes out looking like this? If you didn't have him manage your squad and you watch this, would you want him managing your squad? I never wanted Jose I mean, like, I... <laughs> It's hard to say that when, like, you really had him as your coach, you know? Well, what, what was your reaction to him being your coach? I just knew it was going to end in tears. I just knew it because you just know Mourinho. You just know just who he is and what he is. And you just knew, like, it wasn't going to be fun at all. And once things started to go down, like, so what else, what else can you do? Um, so, like, I knew what, I know what he was trying to do to players and like, get them out. But, like, Mourinho has to remember that this is 2020, like, Players respond differently. It's not 2004 where you can call a drug by a name and he'll go out and perform for you. You know, these players are, they're coddled and they're not the same footballers that you thought they were. So, but I feel like Mourinho has a much better squad than he did at United. Like these players are a lot more older and more experienced. Um, like Kane is almost, Kane is what, 28 now and Son is 27. So his main stars, like, you know, that's what he wants. Like he wants fully developed players and that's fine. He didn't have that yet. There's a bunch of young talent that still needs to be nurtured and like, you know, so I definitely think he had more squad depth. He had better center backs for sure before like injuries and stuff. Um our center back situation generally makes my eye twitch um on a regular basis. Coburn, uh you Mourinho as your as your manager, take us to your initial thoughts. I mean, I don't know, I have a cousin that's a big Chelsea fan, so I spent a lot of time like kind of around that. So I kind of knew what we were in for and like I followed him when he was at Real Madrid so when he came to I don't know it was just like a everything after like Sir Ferg, Alex Ferguson has just been kind of like a, a depressing point for Manchester like I don't think there's been any like upsides really in a lot of the coaches and I guess like we won like some minor silverware with Mourinho so people were happy but I was happy to see him leave and we happy when we get like a, a better coach and we can kind of return to form but I thought like the interesting parts were like seeing the injuries from his his side of things because so i feel like that's something you don't really get to see in soccer or in football like you you hear people are injured and then it's like oh like how injured are they so i thought that was kind of interesting to see him like kind of frustrated by like getting kane injured and then son's out and then he's kind of like struggling with that i think that's one thing the show was able to do well is kind of catch the the, the palpable frustration of having so many players injured 
Um, I feel like when we signed Mourinho, part of me was like, immediately I'm like, this is going to last three years to three and a half years. But then I was, I kind of got like, maybe he could do something in that time because that he's a serial winner. But then, you know, all of that quickly evaporated, um, you know, into a cataclysm of what Jose Mourinho does typically around the third season. Here's what I, I mean. I really want to talk about how we feel this ranks you know, among other, you know, all access type situation, you know, series or uh, sports documentary series, especially like when you're coming off of something like uh, The Last Dance, you know what I mean? Which is different in format, but still gives you that insider's look at what's going on. Um, like, how do you think this ranks? Eh, I mean, again, like it all depends on the teams you use soccer, right? Like a team like, a team like Tottenham has no personality, so it's not going to be fun. I feel like some teams in the past have had more fun. Like, imagine a, imagine this sort of thing with, like, the 99 United team with, like, Becks and, like, Giggs and Keane yeah. and someone like that was just crazy. Even, like, United team with Evera and, like, Rio and people like that, right? But it's just, like, you have to find the right team with, with good personalities. Like, that's really what it is. It's, like, they make it dry it's like i don't want to really like who really wants to sit here and watch like, a tottenham team they're they're top at the end of the day like they're always going to be top <laughs> so you know i mean i still think the best soccer documentary i've ever seen in my life is the maradona documentary like but then again it's because maradona has a personality and a cocaine habit but still that's not <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think that's a good point though because like at the end of the day these things are character driven and that's what you're looking for so like in the absence of characters then like you can't you can't have a plot driven sports documentary in my opinion because or you know docu-series because we kind of know what the fucking narrative always is you know what I mean like we know what happens in a football season we know how it progresses we know it gets busy at Christmas you know, and only the the things, you know, that, you know, we've been talking about, like, the transfer market and, you know, touching on, like, how the COVID thing was interesting. Like, those are the outlier situations where, you know, one, we don't have much access to the transfer market and the inner workings of negotiations because that's, they, you know, they try to keep that try, quote, under under wraps. And then COVID was, like, a complete, you know, paradigm shift. So, in the absence of characters in this, and I think the thing is Maradona is such a good central character right like he's like he's still animated you know he's still involved in in football so yeah i i think that's definitely i think when you're getting when you're you're getting strong characters in these things that's you know why it works that's why like some of the you know like um i don't know if any of you guys have seen the jimmy via vino of uh, vivino um 30 for 30 like you know what i mean like this this these are the people you can focus on yeah i mean i'm, I'm just trying to think like I, like just watching it like I couldn't even tell like you remember how tight like you know finishing top three in the league was like even for us yeah. I didn't really get a sense of urgency behind them at all like you know like that was a big scramble like it was I thought they had a like a okay path to getting to third at one point in, in the PL um if I could be remembering remembering wrong it was like for a while it wasn't like Tottenham Leicester um Chelsea and us yeah. And then, like, it kind of, like, was, it was, did the same thing it did last year where it was, like, you know, everyone's racing for third, but nobody, like, really wants it bad enough. So, like, you're all kind of scrambling, losing matches that you shouldn't be losing. But I didn't really get a sense of, like, you know, that urgency around uh, the end. And that maybe, you know, COVID interrupted that. But I was kind of, like, I was kind of thinking it would be a bit more, like, of a push 
for them to like try it and like you kind of would feel that like you know condensing but it they didn't really like get that through the through the show i like i i think that they don't like champions league positions come with you know a significant financial influx into your club and i think that what they could have pulled out of that from a plot sense is that they you know they didn't what they kind of mentioned oh this will cost us this much money but like really what that means for a club like tottenham you know what i mean like there was no stakes like for you like the perception of champions league is different for teams like united and chelsea because there is an expectation of it whereas at tottenham i guess now there is an expectation of it but it's not something that is consistently done and definitely not you know you know they don't have a rich history of success kind of or even kind of recent success so like this is a kind of a desperation thing for them to make champions league and I don't think they, you know, they showed that. Whereas if you look at, like, a docuseries, like, The Last Dance, is they really kind of ramp up, ramp it up. I mean, the characters are obviously, obviously so rich and awesome because you have, like, Dennis fucking Rodman and you have, you know, Michael Jordan and you have Phil Jackson. And, but they're able to ramp up just from, you know, like, an editing sense, like, what that is. You know, and what that and what the stakes are for that, and what that means, and what that means from a cult, what a championship means from a Chicago standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, from a career standpoint with Michael Jordan, and you just, I guess the big thing is we didn't learn anything new from this. I would have liked to have learned new things. Yeah, like, I, I feel like you know, like they could have, you know, even harped on like you know their cham- their um, Champions League loss. Like, you know, like that kind of like, you know, like at least pull, tap into that. Be like, hey, like, we know we came this close to winning Champions League. We lost. Um, like, I think the best part that I saw from like a football standpoint was like the Arsenal match. And because like, you know, that's their longtime rival. They kind of did a good job at like, you know, showing you Highbury, telling you it's four miles away, building up to the North London Derby. Um, and like the kind, I, that, that was the only part I kind of cared about. And I, I remember the out, outcome of that match, but like even when I was watching, I was kind of like sucked in a little bit there. But I think for everything else, I was like kind of like, okay, like, you know, when, when am I supposed to like, you know, invest in this? Like, when am I supposed to care? But do you guys think like if you have those big personalities at a club, like, you know, your management is going to agree to do a program like this? No. Like, it, they would not, like, United, for example, didn't even let anybody inside the locker room. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can really get it an like I don't I don't think there you can really get as in as you want. You know, especially with a team that's happening like right now, you know what I mean? Like it's different when you're looking back on it. You know, like for example the Maradona documentary, you're looking you're looking at mostly stuff that happened in the past and then you can kind of like, you know, wax about it and go for it, but like yeah, they wouldn't. It's they wouldn't let United in. You know, they wouldn't even let him into the locker room. I think that's that's a good point. I mean, why do you think that is, Tosin? Uh, I just think it's just the way the time, just the way generations are. Um, just the way things are. Like I literally was talking to about this a few weeks ago with one of my friends about. Uh, I grew up in that. Like I watched soccer my whole life. Like one of my favorite commercials is '98 Brazil um, airport commercial where they had Ronaldo, Romario. Um, a whole bunch of these, Roberto Carlos had a whole bunch of these guys in the airport just like literally dribbling around and like it was fun. And like one of my other favorite commercials was like called The Cage. So like basically they had like a bunch of classic players like Figo, um, oh my God, Nakata, Henri, Duram, Edgar Davis, set off like all of these players were like literally playing three on three in like a cage style like commercial, right? You can't do that in 2020. 
And you can't, they literally cannot do that because A, like agents are scared their players might get embarrassed or their players might get injured. So it's like a PR thing in a sense. Like you want to protect your players as much as possible. It's also just like, you have to let these players have personalities. Like these dudes have so much fun. Like I've spoken to like a few players on my podcast. I spoke to um, Kellen Acosta and Kellen Acosta was saying like, a lot of times it's hard to have personalities because, you know, this agent saying this or that person saying this and you can't really, really can't delve into who you really are, you know? So it's that. It's like there's a lot of, and I always say all the time, like football's changed for me. Like I remember my dad's a hardcore Liverpool fan. We were watching a game one time. My dad was pissed, like heaviest Nigerian accent ever. He was like, ah. he was like, why do these players don't do dribbles anymore? They don't do stepovers. I'm like, the game's changed. They like, literally everything's changed. Like, you don't see as much personality anymore. They try to like, try to shut things down, you know? So it sucks. It really does suck because a lot of these players do have personalities, but you will never see it because of just the way media is. Yeah, you're never going to see, like, a Roy Keane situation very much anymore. You know what I mean? Like, where there is this, un, you know, where it's just so out in the open, like, the the intensity and uh, the vitriol against, you know, the opponent. And I'm wondering what kind of conversations their agents had with them prior to doing this. I think there's, like... A whole bunch of negotiations that go on before they even agree to do this and i think there's probably like you know contracts on top of contracts and end up nda type contracts that they're signing like you know before agreeing and like giving them like the amount of access and like because everything they i feel like that they kind of gave over to like the amazon cruises feels like a softball i feel like there was nothing that was like you know really like on the line or ever, ever or you know anything was framed in a way that could potentially like hurt sponsorship or hurt revenue or make someone look bad so I think the whole thing, you know, the feeling at the end of it is kind of sanitizing, kind of like, okay, like, you know, what did we watch? And, like, maybe if you're a big Tottenham fan, like, you might have, like, enjoyed, like, seeing a peek behind the curtain. But, like, is it really a peek behind the curtain if you can't, like, see anything? I think that also that agents in football are kind of, like, if you look at, like, I feel like the NBA is one of the most interesting leagues in the planet right now. Because the players are allowed to, you know, be themselves, especially compared to other leagues. And, like, I mean, like, I would have loved to see one of these for the bubble. I, I feel like there's more commercial opportunity that's brought, you know, with, with ha you know, with allowing players to have a personality and really express themselves. You mentioned your father, uh, Tosin, was a Liverpool fan. How the hell did you become a United fan? Oh, man. You guys want to hear this story? I've Absolutely. All right, so my dad was born in London in this in the '60s, and then he moved to Nigeria. So when he moved back to Nigeria, when he moved back to London, um, the first game he ever saw on TV, because obviously watching football back in Nigeria, the first game he remembers seeing was Liverpool, and he really, really enjoyed Liverpool a lot. Um, so he became a Liverpool fan. So oddly enough, my dad lived near Highbury, Arsenal's original stadium. So my dad used to see Arsenal games, but he's still a Liverpool fan. And my dad actually tryouts with Tottenham, so. Yeah. He like has all this soccer background. Like he literally watched every World Cup like since like he can remember. Um, so he obviously when he had me and my brother two years younger than me, he basically um wanted us to get into soccer. Like that's literally he was he didn't force us to do it, but you picked it up because my dad would play all the time in the streets with his friends, and every Saturday we'll go to a park and play. So it was 1994. Um, before like that year of the World Cup, I never forget this because my dad bought me a white and green Liverpool jersey, their away kit. I told my mom, like, I'm four years old. I'm consciously making a decision, told her I don't want this jersey. <laughs> uh, so I told her to return it and then I'm getting United kit. And my younger brother, you know, follows his big brother, does everything he does. So we became United fans. 
And in like 95, Andy Cole moved to United. And that's when I officially became a United fan was um, when I was five. And Andy got saw Andy Cole move. So I was like, this is my team for life. Um, and it was fun because in my young mind, I was trolling my dad. And I thought it was funny to do that because I know how much he hated United. And I'll never forget the story in 1996 when United beat Liverpool in the, um, this is when I knew like football is, is crazy. Um, it's 1996 FA Cup final. United beat Liverpool 2-1, I think. I think it was 2-1. It went to extra time. And then Cantona scored the um, winning goal. He tracked like he was, you know, pedaling backwards and scored a volley and United won. But dad was pissed. So he takes me and my brother out the house. And he picks us up, puts us outside, locks the door and goes upstairs to sleep. 30 minutes later, my mom comes home. Mind you, my mom was pregnant. So my mom's pregnant. Like this is like, I think it's May 1996. So she's not like heavily pregnant, but she's still visibly pregnant. She's like, what are my boys doing outside? And I was like, oh, dad kicked us outside the house. We go back inside the house and this man is knocked out. He's petty enough to just kick us out. So that's my hate for Liverpool. And I always say the time, it's not my fault the way that I am. I've just been raised this way. So yeah, it's my dad's fault for me being such a uh, trolling person when it comes to Liverpool and hating other people's clubs. So yeah, that's my like long-winded story of how I became a United fan. I love that. Yo, Coburn, how did you how did you get that? You got you got all London family, don't you? Yeah, I do. So um cousin in London, he's a Chelsea fan. He grew up in South London. Um his grandfather played for Queen's Own Ragers, but his stepfather, my uncle, when I was growing up, like and then when I was in London, I think I was in London the summer of ninety-seven and ninety-eight. My favorite player at the time was Henri, because like I was just watching him on TV and like you can't not love Henri yeah. if you see Henri play. But he was a big Man U fan, and I also really loved Beckham. Um, so all, everything they would send me was, like, United jerseys and, and the old sharp kits. So, like, I would always watch United with him, and that's how kind of we connected. So it became my team, and I stuck with them. And I didn't know that they were the New York Yankees or whatever of football, is, or as people call them. I kind of resent that uh, comparison. Oh, I, I do too. I've always said this, like, I think cross-sport comparisons do a lot of damage to people. Yes. Um, like, I, I get it. Like, it's hard to get into the sport of soccer. Like, trust me, I, I struggle to get into the NBA, but I think once you understand the complexities of these teams and the complexities of just, like, what goes on, you will learn not to make cross-sport comparisons because you're, you're cheapening yourself on their, um, from the fun of it. Like, I get it. It's low-hanging fruit to call you not the Cowboys or say the Knicks and blah, 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 blah. I get it. But it's, you're achieving yourself. Like you're literally robbing yourself from the experience of understanding like the complexities of, of all this. So, especially because I mean, United's heyday comes from I mean, really the backbone of that is the class of '92. You know what I mean? So like these are de- players who were developed in within the organization. So it's yeah. I mean, they added Cantona, but like that's what you do. You know what I mean? And I think it goes further than that because United has a rich history of the academy, and like you look at the yeah. Busby days, and like you look at like George Best. Like, this is a club who's always pride themselves and pride themselves on like, having an academy. And yeah, United have money. I mean, you know, it's the richest club in the world. It's also the most successful English club in the world, too. But like, this is this is a club that prides itself. And like, that's why, like, you know, everyone's always like, oh, McTominay shit. So yeah, but like, McTominay is also like a pride of the club because you see your McTominay's and your Greenwoods and your Rashfords who come through the academy. That's why they like, you know, they that's that's just part of the club identity. So yeah. And it says something about the club when you're going from, you know, the through the academy and then getting into the first team. I'm mean, like, that's a success, you know, for a lot of people taking place with, you know, happening within the organization. It's funny when I got into United, I, you know, my old man, my mom married my old man. He's my, he's my stepdad, but you know, his dad, 
But, you know, I was like a little chunky ass kid, you know, I started to play soccer. He like his dad came from England and gave me like this like ridiculously like sharp United kid. Like I was the best dressed kid out there in practice. But then I'd be like the chunky kid standing next to the goalie eating oranges and shit. But I would sit and watch the games with him and then ended up loving them. And then I got super in like where the obsession came is uh, when they got Cantona and uh, I was just obsessed with them and he was my favorite player. Collar popped. Just just always ridiculous. Definitely endearing me, although he got suspended uh, when he dropped, kicked the fan. It was at West Ham, I believe. Crystal Palace. Crystal and Palace, the fan, yes. And 100% deserved that. <laughs> yeah, it's 100%. And it's just like, I'm like, okay, this guy is just so... I'm like, this guy, he gave me that Rashid Wallace vibe. Um, but immensely talented. And I just it just became like a lifelong thing. That's actually kind of how we bonded. Which is why I like spending time with shows like this, even if I'm not like totally 100%, you know, thinking they're great. Just because, you know, it reminds you of, you know, those kinds of, you know, those kind of kinds of moments in your life. What I want to know from you guys is... If you could do a current club and an all-time club for this kind of show, what would it be? Like as far as you mean, like for like a, for like the um Tottenham show. Yes, I would need to go with 2010 Freds. Ooh, that's a good pick. I really, really like that. I need that. I I I need that badly. Um, and now I so. I, I come from a different area, like a lot of people. I grew up in London, South London. I'm from South London, um, so I I hate Arsenal. Like that's probably my biggest rival. Like I legitimately despise Arsenal, but I have a soft spot for them. The older I've gotten, the more I love Arsenal. Wenger. I feel like to me, Wenger and sorry, Alan Ferguson are one A and one B when it comes to football managers of all time. Like, yeah, really for me. Um, but I grew up loving Anelka. Like that was my favorite player of all time. Like I literally, outside of Brazilian Ronaldo, I loved Anelka. Like, I thought. And never can never do any wrong in my eyes. And I saw this documentary, and I saw like the real fast of what happened that night in 2010. So I need that documentary. Like I, I need it. Like Evra, Benzema, Nelka, Henri. Like yeah, we need, we need that. I think I would. I probably want to see uh, un, the unbeaten Arsenal run. Ooh, and Invincibles, yes. The Invincibles. Um, I mean, I love that era. Also, like, wasn't a, not a fan of Arsenal as a club, but. You know, I enjoy trolling Arsenal fans and have enjoyed their misery the past, you know, 20 years or so. Um, but yeah, I would love to see, like, uh, an unbeatable uh, Arsenal run. And I think if I had to pick a current club, hmm. I mean, I think I'd always want to see, I'd probably want to see, I'd probably want to see Leicester on this. Because I think Leicester is, like, the size of, of a club that would kind of fit this kind of show. And, you know, they could use it to, like, leverage themselves a little bit. Well, I feel like you get characters with Lester because, like, Jamie Vardy working at a factory until he's, like, 24. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's all these different... Like, I feel like that would be, of the recent teams, the ultimate one to do would be Lester. I think that would be cool. Even, even like, Leeds. Because Leeds has, like, you know, like, they have a pretty good story. And, like, you know, their coach, like... I think that would be kind of cool, too. Uh, uh, I mean, you could show them, you could show them beating Liverpool. I mean, there is a there is a there is a documentary about Leeds with uh, Bielsa. Oh, is there? Is what, what year is it from? Uh, this is the year um before they. This is like a couple years ago, like the year before last. Yeah, and Dan James almost went there. Oh, I gotta check that out. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Dan James almost went to uh, Leeds, and then 
I wish I wish he was on leads right now. He would be doing great. Yeah, he'd be really awesome if he was on leads. By the way, I know this is an aside, but I think Marcelo Bielsa is also up there, one of the best coaches in the world. His coaching tree, like his sons are just crazy. Like Pochettino, Roberto Martinez, Guardiola, um, Tata Martino. Like all these guys come from like that Bielsa tree. Yeah. And like, again, I'm a huge soccer nerd. Like I don't realize Bielsa also coached against Nigeria in 2002 World Cup, and Pochettino was on that team as well with Batistuta. And oh wow, yeah. So it's a lot of like there's a lot of stupid soccer knowledge in my brain. I can't believe I still have it in my head. But no, I love it. Feel free to digress at any time. It's funny you mentioned the France team because I was thinking like I did watch a documentary on the '98 France team because like I would I would love to have seen a season like a, a thing on that just because that team like. You know, at the time, I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary I watched. Basically, what it was is it just talked about a lot about how that team, despite being so talented and just so, you know, quality overall, an all-time great team, um, they faced a lot of racism in France just because, like, there was a, like, what is a definition of, like, what if, like, they didn't say it was French, they were French enough. Just because, you know, like, you know, there's because, well, there was black players on the team. Uh, someone like Zidane is from fucking, uh, he was born in, uh, in friggin' um, Algeria. And, you know, like, and it, a lot of the thing looked at, like, their role, you know, in French culture and, like, how French culture didn't totally accept them and it took a while to. And that, um, that was kind of something that informed the French people's reaction to, you know, subsequent French teams. Like, I thought that'd be really, really fun. And that's actually all one of my all-time favorite teams, period. Well, Tosin, I thought you had a great tweet about that today when you were talking about, like, you know, France. Uh, yeah, just, like, them embracing it as of recent. It's insane. Like, I, I joke about shit like that all the time, but I'm, I'm being deathly serious. Like, France literally colonized all, most of Africa, and their team is literally a bunch of, like, West Africans and North Africans. Like, that's what France's team are. Like, you look at, yeah. you look at, Kama, look at Kamavinga, right? Yeah. Kamavinga Kama was born in Africa. And, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's messed up. Like, it's really, really messed up. But, hey, they took advantage of colonialism, and it is what it is. Like, I would love to see the 1998 um, Brazil team. Yes. Um, I'm a huge R9 fan. I personally feel he was poisoned then. Um, so... I liked all R nine in two thousand two. I mean, he comes in a little overweight, just still scoring, not moving a lot, just scoring all the time, just fucking boatloads. Almost got his knees cut off. Like he was like two bad knee injuries, like really, yeah. really bad. Like, and everyone always asks me who's better to me, Ronaldo or Messi, and I'm just like Brazilian Ronaldo every single time. Like, I don't care. Like I've seen enough of Brazilian Ronaldo growing up to know that, like even before pre knee injury, like that guy was a freak of nature. Like, he literally was like a bull in a china shot. Like, you, you couldn't stop him. Like, there's a documentary, I'm sure you guys probably, you know, people are listening right now. Go on YouTube, literally type this, Turaman Desai talking about Ronaldo 1998. Type that in YouTube, it's like a minute and a half long. And you could see, like, Turaman Desai are probably two of the greatest players that ever defend. Like, literally, like, these two are like, probably top 10, top 15, top 20, however you want to rank them, defenders of all time. You could hear how much fear they had in their eyes about a 22-year-old, 23-year-old player. Like, you don't have that. Like, yeah, I think Mbappe is sick, but, like, what Ronaldo did was just, like, it made no sense. Like, it, it made no sense. And, like, the thing that pains me the most with that Brazil team is that Romario got injured, like, weeks before. And we didn't get to see Romario, Rivaldo, and Ronaldo. I think 
that might have been greater than Ronaldinho, Gravado, and Ronaldo. Like that, those guys are ridiculous. Another Brazilian player that makes me sad um, is Adriano. I think Adriano was next up, but he had depression issues. Like his dad died, and then his career went downhill. So I think. You know, like for me, I look at football now, I'm just like, man, this sport has really fell off. Like I look at a German team today when they tie three, two, I'm like, this German team is not good. And like, even the Spain team, like no offense, Adama Traore, I think he's a really good player, but like, I don't think Adama would have been, ever been called off for Spain. If you ever look back at the teams, like, I don't think he's that good technically to be on that team. It's just that he's just that much more, you know, dominant than everybody else. He could do whatever he wants. I think both Spain and Germany are kind of recovering from the fact that like golden generations are coming to an end. Um, or have come to an end, especially like I mean, if you're, I mean, if you looked at Spain's midfield, like prime midfield, like with Xavi and Iniesta, like 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 how are you gonna like how are you really gonna replace that? That's another team. 2010 Spanish team would be f- fucking fantastic. Last team, we need a Netherlands documentary on like a lot of their teams because like I don't know how they had like set off and all these other guys and like they haven't won shit like they've had set off davids cliver van nistroy robin van Persie. i mean we can go on and on and on the boar brothers the cuckoo the cuckoos like van Bornkos, they've had you know van de sar i can go on and on like that's probably my favorite country in football but they haven't won anything since 1988 even marco van basel is another one of my favorite players of all time um, I'm dating myself right now. Name plays and people's like, who the hell is that? But, <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, like I grew up like you know, kids watch cartoons growing up. Mm-hmm. I just watched old VHS types of soccer. Like, there's literally like I literally would sit there, watch old Euros, watch old things. Like, this is what I did. So, like, I will look at this Dutch team. I was like, how did they not win anything? Like, are you serious? Like, you had set off. You had all these guys who are just incredibly talented. You just don't win anything. So. Like in football, like you're the most talented, but there's an element of luck that you need as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, in terms of like current teams who I'd like to see, I mean, you know, obviously the big ones. I mean, actually, I'd kind of like to see Barcelona right now if it was, um, you know, kind of a, if it, if it was an all like a real all access, unlike you know, not like this, um, because just because of the the internal struggle that you know internal struggle that that they're going through, and the idea of losing Messi and all that kind of situation, like I'd love to see what that looks like on the inside because like they at one point, um, before the big Real Madrid run, I mean they're the gold standard for Champions League, um, you know in the two thousand in the two thousands and. Just seeing that play out, I think would be super interesting. And Messi hates Barcelona as well, so I don't know. What's, I mean, that, that's that whole. I mean, where do we think Messi's going? Uh, away from Barcelona. And do 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 you think do you think they're gonna he's gonna wind up at City? Who knows? Who honestly knows? I, I feel like he's not gonna leave like that league till till he ends up in uh, MLS and then comes comes back maybe. But fucking MLS, like when these guys go to MLS, like I saw. Like, can you, like, when you see, like, Zlatan Ibrahimovic playing in that league, like, and the center backs trying to stop him, it's like he's playing with children. Like, they can't, like, he's, like, the guy's a destroyer and he's playing on one leg at this point. And, um, the M, like, the MLS, you know, I mean, I, fuck, I want to see an MLS documentary with them actively talking about, you know, competing, like, their perception of them with European football. Because, uh, when I was, when MLS really started first happening, I mean, I was like, what the fuck is this? I can't watch this. Like, they can't even pass. Like they're not even passing to each other. Like I don't. Has anybody made a Cruyff turn yet? Like has anybody done anything? And you know, I I, I kind of would actually kind of like to look at like what that would be like from a 
you know, just from an insider standpoint and like how, and just how the game is perceived and grown in the United States. I think, I think Tosin, you've done like a lot of work on, like on that too, right? You've interviewed like a lot of players like coming up in the States and. I've got a lot of, I got a lot of stories. I'm not sure how much time you guys have, but I have a lot of stories about like, I mean, I really, I know the guy who like gave, who basically gave Freddie to do his uh, thing at DC United. I was actually a ball boy for DC United. Um, oh, crazy. Uh, yeah, my brother's team won nationals. My team won nationals. My cousin's team won nationals. And the biggest thing I could tell people at times is there's a ridiculous amount of talent in America. Like, I don't, like, one of my teammates, um, he was on travel in Maine United in 2008 when United won the Champions League, like, for three months. Uh, so Alex Ferguson told him not to come back home to America. He did bust his knee. And, like, now, you know what the guy's doing? He's a real, he's a real estate agent. That's what he does. Like, he won, the most, he won Gatorade National Player of the Year. Like, that's how talented he was. And now he does real estate. Um, and like a couple of guys on my team now, lawyers and doctors, and not to say those are not important jobs. It was like, you take some of the most talented players in this country. A lot of them have- It's fallen. not being a footballer though. Yeah. It's like, some of these guys have fallen by the wayside. There's a lot of talented players in America that has like fallen by the wayside. I mean, like we've had Joe Jow on the podcast who plays for Cincinnati. Um, Joe had his debut by Jurgen Klopp. I mean, I've known Joe Jow since he was nine. Um, so I've seen, crazy like I know this kid named Lester Dewey who retired um Lester was at Marseille when he was 10 years old 11 years old so when I tell people like when I see the Geo Reigners and the Christian Pulisic and the Weston McKennies I'm like finally it's about time because there's a lot of talented plays in this country but the problem is like a is very expensive to play in America um I mean there's times when my parents like you know they almost couldn't afford the mortgage they were paying you know club fees for my brother and I um where in England or like overseas, you go to an academy and that's all kind of taken care of. But like, again, the competition is hard, but it's like in this country in America, there's so much talent that has literally just died by the wayside. So to, for me to see like the Gio Reynas and your Pulisic's and like, they got 11 kids in the Champions League this year, which to yeah. me is fucking crazy. I'm like, yo, I can never imagine that. Like even the coverage of soccer in America has changed. Like if you told me like five years ago, that like, we would have like stuff what CBS is doing now and what Bleach Report did and, you know, seeing all these things, what NBC has done, I would have laughed at you, but like, it's grown. Like, even in Canada, it's growing too. Like, we've, I, I've seen it. Like, you see your Davies and you see Jonathan David and like, you see even the women's side, like the women's game in Canada is like the best outside of USA. So it's like, you're start, finally starting to see like all these things finally come into motion. And it's like, finally, it was like, it's about damn time. Cause they had like, I think a lot of times like the people higher up don't realize it's a lot of people who really want to watch the sport. And a lot of people want to get involved in it, but it's like, how do you make people really want to love this sport? And that's where, like, I feel like people like us come involved when we have an independent, like, podcast and things like that. Because it's like, hey, man, we are also working here. Like, this is what we do. So, yeah. So, what do you think the impact of, like, I know, I don't know what exactly, is it Peacock in the States that, that has the rights now to games and they're kind of broadcasting them um, online? And I know in Canada we have zone. How do you think these things impact the growth of the game when you're kind of putting it behind paywalls so you can't go to a bar and watch it as easily? It stunts it because a lot of people really want to get into it, especially now during pandemic. Nobody's doing anything. I mean, like the NBA just finished, right? NFL still here, baseball finishing up. So like people want to watch sports. But if you don't know where to turn to find it, like who's paying, you know, you already pay for cable, right? You already pay for this. So like now you got to pay more. It's like it stunts the growth. Like NBC had it really, really well. And then they just started to grow. So it was just like, 
people really want to get into the sport. So give them what they want. The World Cup's going to be in, a, in Canada, USA, and Mexico in six years, right? You grow your fan base. You grow this and they, make people have affinities. And, you know, that's what you do. But they're, they're, they're not serious, man. It's just all, it's just corporation. I think, well, you see, you saw what happened with, well, I'm not sure we're old enough to have seen it, but like, you know, like what happened with basketball and when it got, you know, national rights and, and, and a, a actual broadcasting situation, like people used to watch, have to watch like playoff games, like on repeat at like 11 o'clock, like midnight. And uh, as soon as they were able to kind of put together broadcast rights and get uh, a national audience, then, you know, the, the, the sport was able to grow. Do you think that, you know, part of the reason why it's growing in the U.S. is because the broadcast situation has changed? I think that, and then people see a cultural aspect behind it. Like, again, I've spoken to some really, really amazing guests on our podcast. Like, I've spoken to um, Mel D. Cole, right? Mel D. Cole is one of the biggest hip-hop photographers ever. Like, the guys shot Drake, Sade, like, you name it. Like, he shot them, right? And Mel D. Cole didn't really get into shopping until 2013. And Mel was just saying, like, I didn't realize how crazy this sport was, but nobody's ever teaching us this. No one's ever telling us, like, this is this is here. So it's just like, now you're starting to see the cultural aspect of it. I mean, look at the Nigeria jerseys that came out, for example, right? Like, I've had all of them and, like, all of that. But it's just that like, people also, like, when they see stuff like this, they get behind it. And now you're starting to see brands collaborate. It's also social media. Like, Roma does a good job on social. I mean, sometimes it's a bit forced. But you can see it that, like, people are really trying to, like, engage the cultural aspect of the sport. So... That helps out a lot. It's also representation. Like, you know, whenever you see somebody who looks like you on TV, because America hasn't really had that superstar yet, right? That like looks like them, who grew up like them, and like, oh, I can see him too, you know, in a sense. So that aspect hasn't come to it yet. But like, once that crosses over, like that would that that's gonna change a lot of stuff. How tired of you are you of the narrative that like you know if X football player or X basketball player played soccer, you know, they would dominate the sport. Um, I'm extremely tired of it because, again, like I, I've seen, like I said, I grew up here um, in the States since I was 11, and I've seen some incredibly talented players. It's like, you're, I get it. I, I honestly get the whole, you know, the comparison of it, but it's just like, soccer is a very, very different sport where, like, the best player of all time, both of them, you know, two of them, Maradona and, and Messi, are like nothing but 5'5 five, five at best, right? And they don't have that much athleticism. I mean, like one of my favorite players of all time is Raquel May. Raquel May looks doesn't Raquel May doesn't look like he can play ball, but Raquel May's feet are, is just disgusting. So it's just like it's not just athleticism that you need. Like you also need to have the technical skills, and I feel like you do a disservice to the game when you start saying things like that. Like, do you see, um, you know, soccer as something that can, you know, that can join the big four, you know, or the big three sports? You know, like basketball, well, it's not a big three anymore. It's really basketball and football um, in the U.S. If they push it right, um, if they push it right, like, again, I'm, I'm seeing it again. Like I told you guys, you know, where I work now, I don't really want to sit on air, but like where, where I work now, right? I'm seeing it from, from this perspective. And, and I'm now in like these bigger meetings and I'm like listening to what people are saying. And I'm just like, they're slowly getting it. Like they just need to hire the right people. They need to like have the right on their personality. They need to have the right sort of content. Um, because the thing is like, for example, in London, right? Like in England, um, I'm friends with a lot of different content creators in London. And what, what they've done is like, you know, I know a guy named Harry Pinero who's like, he just had an interview with Oxley Chamberlain, right? So you get to see the human, you get to see the human side of these players, right? You get to really 
to like, oh shit, like I know this person. So if you put the right amount of dollars behind it, if you put the right amount of content creators, the right people, and the fun, you make it funny and digestible enough, it'll grow. It'll grow. I mean, it's just, it's gonna be a, a long, slow growth, but you're slowly seeing people like, and I, I'm seeing it too, because I, I, you guys follow me on my Twitter. So I used to wake up early in the morning and just like tweet about soccer. Now you're, I'm starting to see more and more American people that like were only into basketball like up to seven thirty in the morning. So I'm just like, okay it's growing like there's a, there's a fan base now it's like okay so what what do we do now and the same thing with canada is like you have to really really get the right content creators and the right people to do this because no offense and no one really wants to see middle-aged white british men talking about football anymore like it, we don't want to see that like like truth be told like we don't want to see that like we really want to see people our age who can really take this content and drive it forward you know what i'm saying like so once once you have like that culture aspect of it yeah it, it you gotta you gotta do that but it all just depends on the powers that be that that's really it yeah like i think there is kind of like a cultural awakening kind of happening on that end but i'm also wondering like too because like we're watching like i don't forget what the whole proponent is but in england where they're trying to charge like 14 dollars a game where they're, they're thinking about shrinking the size of the premier league so it's like less teams in it so more teams can remain profitable and you know teams are kind of struggling without having fans in the stands how do you think these things will impact, like, you know, PL League, but then kind of trickle down to over here? Well, like, having no fans in the league? Yeah. It's a twofold thing, right? It's like, it's sucks that there's no one in the stadium. Because, like, that's how you grow the game, and that's how the atmosphere is more fun. But, again, it goes back to the people in the, um, it goes back to the people at the top. Like, how do you incentivize these things and make people have fun while, you know, this is, this is going to be, obviously, a long-term temporary thing, but, like, it's going to be a long-term thing for now. So they had to incentivize these things to have fun. Like the NBA did a great job with the virtual bubble, like the with the fans, like you know, virtually watching the game. But it's just like, um, how do you make it fun for people? And that's really it. On that note, gentlemen, the shirtless plantain. If you are not watching it, it's sorry, listening to it already, you should. Uh, the banter's good. You guys are always fucking hilarious as well. It's a good listen. But then you get some straight up football talk as well. Um, I really, really liked it. I also love that you just randomly are like, hey, what are your top uh, five favorite rappers of all time? I fucking, I, I, you know, I, 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 we love that. And if you're not listening to that already, you uh, absolutely have to. Thank you guys. So thank you guys so much. We're actually going to get back on the YouTube soon. Um, I'm just trying to get a new setup, but I've missed shooting YouTube videos so much. So we're going to get back into that side and still have the podcast. And yeah. Dope. We'll be excited to, to check for it in all its incarnations. And also for the next uh, collection of shirts and, and uh, sweaters. All right. We'll talk to you later, guys.